name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday, we took the opportunity to look at some passages in the Holy Scripture and the Book of Common Prayer, namely the uh, Great Litany, and also to use uh, as a theme for these sermons that wonderful collect for Ash Wednesday. Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent, create and make in us new and contrite hearts, that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of thee the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the thing that we talked about was that uh, in Lent we could focus very specifically the church uh, as a counterculture to the society in which we live and that possibly over the door of this cathedral ought to be the words, the truth is told here uh, about who we are, uh, that we are sinners under the dominion of sin, the dominion of the ego. Uh, and that ego can justify any choices that we make, and those choices put us in front of God and, and everyone else. Sometimes we believe that those choices make us somebody and make us important, when the facts of the matter are that God and Jesus Christ, through the work on the cross and his precious creation, has given us every ounce of value that we have and that we ever will need. We needed to remember that it was our choices and the choices of sinful men that crucified our Lord. And it was his resurrection and refusal to let us go that unleashed a grace and a love in the creation that can tame and alter that dominion of sin. And he redeemed the sinful decisions that sent him to the cross and crucified him. And through that resurrection brought us new life. Tomorrow, I would like for us to look at John 13, uh, the foot washing, uh, and look at that in terms of an icon that expresses the whole work of God uh, and has a very important message for us that will bring all these things together. Today, I would like for us to look at gospel passages from the Gospel according to St. Luke and the Gospel according to St. John, and look at Jesus making disciples, disciples that carry out the work of the kingdom for which he was crucified. The first passage is from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning with the 14th verse. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on this table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to the one by whom he is betrayed. Then he began to ask one another which of them it would be that would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I'm among you as one who serves. Think about that amazing setting when Jesus talks about uh, his suffering and what was determined to happen to him in his teaching uh, to the disciples. And then a dispute arose among them as to which is the greatest. I almost smiled tongue-in-cheek remembering when I went to the Church of St. Michael and St. George many years ago, and my little boy was there in the Great Hall, and in the Great Hall, with all the oak paneling, were portraits of the rectors of that church. And Edward said to me, Dad, when are they going to put your painting up there? And I said, "Uh, Edward, you have to retire or die to get it up there. And he said, if you die, what will I get? (laughs) That question is not unlike uh, the question of the disciples. The question that they asked was that dominion of sin. It was all about them. Uh, And that was their primary concern. And therefore the question, and the questions among them, which of them is the greatest? What we often miss in this passage is the stunning way in which Jesus put the disciples in their place. I wonder if you heard it. We've heard it so often, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority are called benefactors. The stunning thing about that passage is that Jesus compared his disciples, Jewish men, to Gentiles. Think about that. If you want to talk about a put-down in that day and time, that was the ultimate put-down. And he rang their bell. And what he was saying to them is that that in that put-down, if they could get in touch with that, as long as they argued about who was the greatest, it was not possible for him to get into their life. But if they understood how distorted that was, there was room for him to come in. It reminds me in uh, clergy gatherings when I was a priest in, in the parish or a bishop, we'd get together. And you know, one of the things about clergy is they always tell what's working. 
you ne very seldom ever see at a clergy conference somebody gathers with, the, with their friends and peers and say, you know, I'm having a terrible time running this parish or this diocese. I've got all these problems over here. We go in and say all the things that are working. Of course. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, uh, in paraphrasing, that when Christians get together, they always talk about who's the greatest. Uh, and that's exactly what was going on there. It's all about me. Uh, that dominion of sin, it's so easy to justify it and for it to slip in. And when it slips in, there's no room for anybody else to get into that. When you tell your peers how successful you are, there's no way for them to get in. When the disciples debated about who was the greatest, there was no place uh, for their master. So the first thing that we see in this passage uh, is Jesus putting the disciples in their place. And what I'd like to do as we move into the Gospel of John uh, is to take that theme and to focus that theme on Simon Peter and to start uh, with the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John in the 33rd verse where Jesus says, Little children, I will be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Think about that. I will lay down my life for you. There was no room for Jesus to get into that life because in that self-centered statement, there was no place. It was all about Simon Peter, that dominion, if you will, uh, that dominion of sin. And then Jesus said the most startling thing to him, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And so in the Luke passage, we see that Jesus put the disciples as a group in their place. And here with Simon Peter, he does the same thing again. And then as we move along in the gospel passage into the 18th chapter of the gospel according to St. John, beginning with verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Simon Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and he said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, did, not, did I not see you in the garden with him? 
and Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. I will lay down my life for you. Will you lay down your life for me? You will deny me three times before the cock crows. Jesus knew Simon Peter very well. Simon Peter did not know himself. It was all about him. And then we see this story move on to what I would call its stunning fulfillment. When we look at the uh, 21st chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, and here the disciples are by the Sea of Tiberias, uh, and they had decided to go fishing. But before I read that passage to you, I would remind you that in the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke, by the lake of Genesareth, Jesus had been teaching the crowds. And if you remember, the crowds pressed on him, uh, and he saw two fishing boats there uh, by the seashore. And he got into one, and it was the boat, a boat that belonged to Simon Peter. Uh, and uh, after he finished addressing the crowds, he said to Simon Peter, put the boat out into the water uh, and cast your nets in again. And Simon Peter said to him, we have been fishing all night and have caught nothing. I'm paraphrasing the scripture, but if you say so, uh, we will go out and cast the nets. And he cast the net over the right side, uh, and it was filled to the brim. And if you remember, uh, Simon Peter, on seeing that, said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It was a stunning experience. And that, in the Gospel of Luke, is the calling of the disciples. Now, with this as a background, after the crucifixion of Jesus, this is a, his third appearance to the disciples, and it begins, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. The difficulty with that passage is that it's in English. If we were able to read that passage in the Greek, we would see a stunning juxtaposition of words. When Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you love me? He used the word agape, which means self-emptying love. And Simon Peter answered back, philios, brotherly love. 
and this was after the crucifixion of the one whom he had betrayed, he could not answer the question as it was asked. And so Jesus asked him again, Do you love me, agape? And Simon Peter answered the second time, Phileos, the one who said, I do not know the man. And then the third time, Jesus used the word Phileos. He came down where Simon Peter was and said, Simon, do you love me? And Simon, of course, said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. At that moment, the Simon Peter who had said, I will lay down my life for you, at this moment knew himself as the one who could not lay his life down for the Lord. He knew himself as he was, and so there was room for Jesus to get in. Isn't that amazing? And so what we see in the end of this gospel is the stunning way in which Jesus made disciples. He made disciples, uh, if you will, by first putting them in his place, the same way that we talked about yesterday. Almighty and everlasting God, who hatest nothing that thou hast made, and dost forgive the sins of all those who are penitent. To obtain that ego so there's room for God to get in. Uh, And so the message here uh, in this passage, if I could paraphrase it, and I had a wonderful New Testament professor at uh, Neshota House, I heard say this uh, many months ago in a sermon, and I've never forgotten it. And it's this, Jesus put his disciples in their place so that he might put them in his place. Jesus put his disciples in their place so that he might put them in his place. Jesus puts you and me in the call to discipleships in our place. We are sinners for whom he died. And when we're able to see ourselves that way, there's room for God and everyone else in our lives. And we can be his disciples. Don't forget those words, my friends. Jesus put the disciples in their place so that he might put them in his place. Amen.